0: My uh, title for this message this morning is Everybody Always. Before I start, I wanted to give uh, three disclaimers. The first is uh, simply that this message is for all believers. You'll see why I uh, will say that as a disclaimer in uh, just a minute and one of the next few slides. But a believer is someone who has placed their faith in Jesus, the finished work of Jesus Christ for eternal life. If you have done that, then this message is for you. If you have not, there's a different message for you. And that is simply through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, and His finished work, you can know for sure that you have eternal life. The second disclaimer is: This will be an easy message to hear. Maybe you might even call it a feel-good message to hear. But from personal testimony, it is a difficult. It is a very hard message to live. I, the simple truths are often like this, and this is exceptionally that way. and it, And I think you'll see. And as a wise man has said too many times, I mean many times, is much more could be said. I'm not going to answer all your questions. You will leave with questions. I hope that's the case. I hope you'll wrestle with this message. It might be different than anything you've heard before. It might be uh, uh, something that you have questions about. Great. Search the Scriptures. Understand it for yourself. As I start, I want to make three big, audacious claims. And at first response, you might go, yeah, those are pretty arrogant, or or may seem such, or quite unbelievable, may seem such. But I hope you'll stay with me on this. The first one is this. This is the most important message you will ever hear. Not because I'm delivering it. As a matter of fact, John or Carl could do a much better job with this, I'm sure, than I could do. So that's not the reason. It's not the delivery. It's not the presentation. Um, it, it is the most important message you'll ever hear because I believe, and I hope that you'll be convinced when you leave. If not, search the script, again, search the Scriptures for yourself. That this is the most important topic. This is the highest priority for every believer to have. That's why it's the most important message. If anybody preached this, it would be the most important message you could ever hear. Second is, I'm just completing the most important class I have ever attended. Why do you think that's the case? Because it's addressing this same topic. And I'll mention that more in just a second. And finally, this message has the potential, I should have said, to change your life like nothing else can. If it's the most important message you'll ever hear, then it carries the potential at least. If you'll wrestle with this seriously, if you allow God's Holy Spirit in your life, it will change your life many times. Many messages do, all messages from scripture should, but this like nothing else, because it is the highest priority that you could ever, and the most important message you could ever hear as a believer. To set the stage, let me begin with my story, just personal testimony of a journey I've been on. In 2011, a little over 10 years ago, I was diagnosed with uh, advanced coronary artery disease. Of the three main arteries that feed the heart blood, mine were 80 to 90 percent, all three were 80, 90 percent blocked. I was a walking heart attack about to happen. So I began to treat it, uh, They recommended immediate surgery, right or wrong. I chose to treat it with diet and exercise. It advanced, and uh, I was too far gone. And by March of 2016, I had the privilege of entering in Piedmont Hospital with a great surgeon who performed a quintuple bypass that prolonged my life indefinitely, 100 years ago, oh, 50 years ago, maybe 40 years ago, I would not be here this today. And I understand that. It was a great blessing and a great privilege. And, uh, you know, in March of 2016, God gave me a new heart, physically. And I thank, for it, thank, him, for, thank him for that this morning. But in addition, I started a pilgrimage. I didn't know that I was going to be on this journey. I I didn't plan for it. I didn't it wasn't my choice. <laughs> but God began to give me a new heart in a figurative way. Emotionally, spiritually. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. One of the things, uh, in 2016, John Clark came as pastor of the church, and he began a series in Romans. And I remember as he was going through Romans, he came to this, it's really the last, or the, what would you call it? The conclu- not the concluding remarks, that begins in verse 11. But it's kind of the summary it's kind of like, here's the overarching message. Here's what I want to summarize and conclude with. Here is the punchline, so to speak. And that's Romans, it's the parag- short paragraph, Romans 8, 8. I mean, Romans 13, 8 through 10. And it simply goes like this. owe nothing to no one except to love one another. For the, loving, for the one loving another has fulfilled the law. Let me read that last two. For the one loving another has fulfilled the law. This is a common theme in the, New, in the New Testament Scriptures. And you know what? I have, one of the things I didn't mention earlier, I've been a believer. I mean, I was raised in the church. I went to seminary. I've attended I was was trying to figure it out roughly. If I've been to all the Bible classes and teaching and sermons I've been through, it may be as many, I'm 64, it may be as many as 20,000 messages I have heard. And as dense as I am, I'd never seen this before. I understood And we'll talk more about this. Some of the things about believers and what Christ has accomplished in their life. But for the one loving another has fulfilled the law. I missed it. Let me go on. For all the commandments are completely summed up. I did a word study on that. Uh, Playing around with some of the Greek... Uh, education that I've got, whatever. Very unique word. It means all brought under one capstone. Here we bring everything to the pinnacle. Everything else is subservient to this. All All of the commandments are completely summed up in this statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know if that kind of takes you back or not, but it does me. You mean everything? If I was going to put one thing at the top of the pyramid that says, this is it, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Accordingly, the fulfillment of the law, the completion, the finished work of the law is this. It's love. Several things, I don't know where I've got them in chronological order or not, but I was introduced to this book that I plagiarized today's uh, sermon title off of, Everybody Always. Subtitled, Becoming Love in a World Full of Setbacks and Difficult People. It's written by a guy named Bob Goff, who's an attorney and who uh, is a fairly, I don't know where you've heard of him before. Um, He he had a book before this called Love Does, and uh, uh, that was a bestseller. And he, you know, not every book affects people the same way. But this one, because of the work that God was doing through my new heart, this one affected me profoundly. And God brought me further along on this pilgrimage to understand what He values most. A little over two years ago, I preached a sermon here called The Greatest. I based it on 1 Corinthians 13.13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. If you're going to put those in priority, it would probably be that, that order. But the greatest of these is love. Recently, uh, in Sunday school, last year, we were going through a study of Galatians, the book of Galatians. I I don't know how many times, probably a dozen, maybe two, that I've read Galatians, and I've even taught it and studied through it before, and I missed it. Has that ever happened to you? I missed something. And I was going through Galatians, and it hit me that Galatians 4, 5.14, the entire law is accomplished in this one statement. And what would you expect Paul to have written to the Galatians? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's what I would expect, Right? The entire law is accomplished in this one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why did he say that? I mean, it's under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I understand that. It's because God inspired him, directed him. This is so that these become the very words of God. But two believers in Galatians believers, the argument is believers are freed from the law. The commandments, this is radical, keep your seats, don't run for the exits, you are no longer subject to the law. I'm sorry, it just doesn't apply to you. Because Christ completed, fulfilled all of the commandments. And he's left us, that I'm going to argue this morning with one commandment. And that is love your neighbor as yourself. In September, as God was bringing me down this pilgrimage, let me back up one step. I was introduced to a uh, new DVD series called The Engagement Project. Some of you may have... uh, uh, Gone with us a few several years back uh, through what was called the Truth Project by a guy named Del Tackett. And a very interesting study, very well done. He came out through the pilgrimage God had led him on. I had no idea about this until it just got, I was looking at a possibility through a recommendation that somebody had said, Hey, you know, Del Tackett did something else. Oh, really? And I found out that Dale had been on a t- <laughs> a parallel course and a pilgrimage to understand the engagement project. I don't know why he really called it that. Well, I do know why he called it that, but it really addresses this subject, to love everybody always. It, it says the... the it, it makes the argument. He makes the argument in this series that we've been doing since September... Uh, where we'll be completing it at the end of uh, January, he makes the argument that the royal law, the law of Christ, is to love one another and nothing else in the believer's life, life takes priority. Nothing else. And, and once again, God led me on this pilgrimage I've been on. And so I want to share with you this morning some scriptural principles about this whole topic and priority of loving everybody always. Three truths based upon from scripture. And so I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures. I'm going to go through this fairly quick. The first is based upon the creation of Christ. The second on the cross of Christ, and the third, on the command of Christ. And that's where we're going with this message. The creation of Christ. John 1.3. The reason why I call it the creation of Christ is John 1.3. John said in his introduction to his gospel, referring to Jesus, the word, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. That changes my perspective on creation and so we come to the creation account and in genesis 1 26 through 27 so those two verses and uh, chapter 2 verse 7 you have this then god said let us make man the culmination the apex of creation then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness to rule over all other creatures so God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created him male and female he created them the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being that's the entire creation account of man right there in those three verses in those two chapters at the introduction to the bible that we have Genesis, the book of Genesis. Three things that I want you to see here. There's in our image, mentioned three times, there's after our likeness, and God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. And so there's the image of God, the likeness of God, and the breath of life. That is what we know about man from creation. That's what he possesses. The image of God, the, the Hebrew word is pretty simple. It's any type of graven image, <laughs> representation or whatever. Well, we understand uh, the prohibition that God gave against idolatry and also against graven images and so on. That's one of the big ones. And, uh, and, and so we understand that. But God is spirit, we're also told. And so, what the scriptures seem to imply here is that within each person created, there is a spiritual representation of God Himself. That He's unique from all the other creatures, that He possesses something that's Godlike. Immortality in particular. And other traits like that that come from that. Everyone lives forever. Second thing is, there's a likeness of God that is given in there. This is a more, it's a very similar word to, uh, or a, almost a synonym for um, image. But instead, it refers, it has a more... Um, uh, Uh, I lost my word, Um, abstract uh, aspect to it. And, And in particular here, it's related to authority. So that, just like the kings in the ancient Near East used to take images of themselves and put them throughout the kingdom, why? So this is my territory. This is my dominion. And you know what? God chose to create man in his likeness so that everywhere you see a mortal, you see God saying, this world is actually mine. I have authority here because I've put my representation, I don't know, 50 of you, right here today. The last thing is the breath of life. This is only referred to, this particular Hebrew word is only referred to to either God, a representation of God, or giving life to man, which you see here. And in Job 32, eight, it refers to a spiritual understanding that man has. uh, In Proverbs 2027, a functioning conscious to make to have ration and reason and so on. These godlike traits are only given to man. And when he breathed the breath of life into him, God animated him that he could respond to this God who created him. All of this, I bring this up simply because, and I'll quote from C.S. Lewis out of his book. If you've ever tried to read C.S. Lewis, you know you can't read it once. (laughs) And uh, you have to read it multiple times. But he has a book called, he, uh, had, uh, called The Weight of Glory. And there are some really thought-provoking things about these people you're looking around that are mere mortals. The quote goes like this, it may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory. It is hardly possible to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor." The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back. A load so heavy that only humility can carry it. And the backs of the proud will be broken. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. But it is immortals, whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Our charity must be real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins despite, uh, in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love as flippancy parodies merriment. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. That's sobering. There's nothing more holy in the world at this time than Look around. Look at the people whom you'll see in the restaurant you go to or, or in, driving in your car or whatever. There's no mere mortals. You've never talked to one. All possess the image, likeness, and breath of life of God himself. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses that's a game changer if you took that seriously and you pondered that go back search the scriptures for yourself if that is really really true it changes everything it makes it, it's easy to understand isn't it you think that's difficult to apply to see no matter what they do, who they are, that they're the holiest object that you'll ever encounter. And so, we love everybody always because they're created in God's image. Second thing I want you to see is the cross of Christ. And there's three aspects I want us to see here is the extent of Christ's love the exceptions to Christ's love and the example of Christ's love. John 3.16, you're very familiar with, said, For God likewise loved the world, so he gave his only begotten Son in order that everybody who believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Who? Everybody. Who did Christ die for? John 2, 2, 1 John 2.2 2 says, Christ is the one who takes away all of our sins. Speaking to believers, of course. But not for all of ours only. What? But also for all of the whole world. It's kind of an awkward phrase, isn't it? But it emphasizes. Christ's death was for all of his creation. For every. Because you know what? You've never met. You've never talked to a mere mortal. John, again, going back to John chapter 1. John, his gospel, writes about when John, Jesus Christ was walking down to the Jordan River where John was baptizing. And he said, on the next day, John sees Jesus coming toward him and says, Look, or behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, this should be a question that I'm going to answer quickly with a few verses, but are there any exceptions to Christ's love? This is what you must beg. But those previous verses seem to say it was for everyone. Are there any exceptions? Isaiah 53 6 says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Everybody has turned his own way. We have turned, but God has laid upon him the punishment for us all. Romans 5, 6 through 8. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Wait, 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 wait. I thought he only had died for the elect few. Very rarely will anyone die on behalf of an innocent person. Although on behalf of a really good person, perhaps someone might have the courage to die. But God demonstrates His love to us that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. First Peter 3.18 said, Because Christ also suffered once for all, of our sins, the innocent for the righteous, no, for the guilty, so that he shall bring you to God. Everybody, always. The final in this is the example of Christ on the cross. 1 John 4 7 through 11 states, To take away all of our sins. Beloved, in the same way God loved us, we should likewise love one another. You have never met a mere mortal. Or talked to a mere mortal. Those you see around you, those you meet every day, are the holiest objects you will ever see. But will ever be presented to your senses. Christ created them as such, Christ died for them as such. There are no exceptions. And Christ has said, I did this, and this is your example. Love everybody. Always. The final thing I want us to look is the command of Christ. John thirteen thirty four, a new commandment I give to you that you should love one another. Leviticus nineteen eight, doesn't it already say that? Is this a new commandment? Oh you didn't complete the thought. Just as I have loved you, so also you should love one another. It's new because Christ Himself sets the example. This is my John fifteen twelve. This is my commandment that you should love one another, just as I have loved you. First John three twenty three. This is His commandment that we should believe in the name of His Son Jesus Christ, and we should love one another, just as He gave the command to us. This is the scriptural argument that God has laid on my heart through my pilgrimage. That the highest calling, the most important message in all of scripture is that you love everybody always. It's just too simple. It's just too hard. I want to leave you with three applications today. First is a little silly. Give everybody what they deserve. Always. If you could make one New Year's revolu- resolution, revolution, you know, I guess it would be, it would be this. Give everybody what they deserve always. Because you now have no excuse. Christ has left you as an example. He died for everyone. Everyone bears the image of God. He created it to be so. There are no mere mortals. Not everyone is lovely. And I'm glad the, the only, <clears throat> I'm so thankful in my own life that while I was still ungodly, Christ died for me. Second, rewrite your New Year's resolutions. You know, you'll hear in a lot of different things that uh, you might... I, here's what I really want to achieve this year. <laughs> and, uh, and some of those might be things straight out of Scripture, commands, etc. You know? And you've written those before on your list <laughs> many times. I never have reached that. You know, one of the things I don't have in here is first Peter four eight that not only says that love is most important, <laughs> but it also says it covers a multitude of sins. And I won't get into taking that verse apart, but basically is this. Don't get the cart before the horse. It's love is where it's at. And love will solve so many sin problems in a person's life. I have a New Year's resolution. Only one. Besides the proverbial lose weight and get in shape, whatever. And uh, as if that's going to happen. But uh, is... Uh, is love everybody always? And if I could write yours, that's what I would write, because nothing carries a higher importance. And then finally, in this, a little bit of a parody, but commit, then figure it out. You know, we're not only saved by faith; we are lived by faith as well. It's not only faith for eternal life, but it is. That eternal life that we now have has a practical aspect right now, and it's through faith. That's what Colossians 2.6 tells us, among other passages. And you've heard John preach that before. The thing is, is commit is faith. Faith is being persuaded that something is true. Some fact is true. That's all faith is. Being convinced that something is true. That's what the pilgrimage God has brought me on. Being convinced This is the priority for my life. So I commit through faith. I just believe that what God has said is true. And then now I need to figure it out. I don't want that to-do list to be, okay, now you're supposed to love everybody, and here's how you love everybody. Always, and I give you an overwhelming to do list that you will fail before you get out of here. Trust that the Spirit of God who has brought you to salvation will now complete that work in your life. Understand that when we have things like Josh read this morning for First Corinthians, love is patient, love is kind. Oh, great, I've got to be patient and kind. Don't see it as a to-do list. It's not a to-do list. It's a list. Well, what is it then? It's like the gauges on your automobile. They don't fix anything. They simply tell you when something is awry. So if I study through the Scriptures and I understand the example of Christ, He works in my life by the power of His Spirit. To convince me and convict me. To convince and convict. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in, the, in your life. In a believer's life. And He wants to convict you and convince you that this is true. That no greater priority is this in, your, in a believer's life. And use His Word to say, oh, that was impatient, unkind. Yeah, I I got convicted of that. That's great. So now, Lord, help me to love everybody. Always. Let me close in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Gracious Lord, You are Worthy. And you have called us to understand that what is precious for you, your creation that represents you throughout the world, your sacrifice. to redeem and offer the free gift of salvation to everyone, always. Gives us now your example of love. You're calling us to this one command now. Shake off the burden of the law and live under this one command. It's the royal law. To love your neighbor as yourself.